Our beer of the week this week is another Sycamore beer from here in Charlotte. It's a juicy lager, an India pale lager, so an IPL. I've never had one of these before, but it's pretty good. And uh, let's let's just get into it. No more no more nice stuff. Yeah, no more nice stuff. We can't we can't have nice things. We were talking about uh, breweries we liked here in Charlotte. Sycamore is definitely up there, probably top three. We'll we'll discuss that in more uh, future episodes. But we have we have the loss that the Panthers had down in Tampa Bay this past weekend. Um, we, we actually took a lead at one point in the third quarter going up 10, seven. And I think that lead lasted all of 10 seconds. Uh, it was about downhill, uh, from there on out. What were some of the key takeaways you had from the game? Um, as we, we kind of break down this, this matchup. Well, I thought there were some highs and some lows, like the high part, Chuba Hubbard, really nice game, right? I think 104 yards, two touchdowns. This was the first 100-yard rusher that the Buccaneers had allowed this year, I think. And consequently, I think this was the first time we had a running back go over 100 yards this year. So uh, that's pretty nice. Um, Bryce made some good throws. That was good to see. The defense was good for the most part. But uh, like all the nice things were few and far between. The defense gave up big plays that led to touchdowns for them. Uh, Bryce had like on the whole, probably his worst game uh, maybe of the season this year with some just really bad misses and uh, throwaways and stuff like that. And it just didn't work out well. And I thought this was a game we could win and we just came up short at the end. We definitely came up short. Uh, Like you said, there were a couple bright spots. I was actually impressed how well Chuba ran between the tackles uh, for a large majority of the game, honestly. Uh, their play calling was a little bit predictable. Uh, it felt like on a lot of third and shorts, especially early on in the game, we were running run plays from shotgun, which just doesn't make a lot of sense. We had a lot more success uh, with those play concepts on first and second down, which makes sense. The box isn't as loaded. Um, the line of scrimmage isn't as packed. Um, it's, but other than that, I, I liked what Thomas Brown did with motions, uh, with more bootlegs. I thought it gave Bryce a few more easier buttons in the game. But again, this is the second week in a row where we played a really bad secondary and I expected a little bit more juice. Uh, Chark had a nice uh, catch in the first half down the left sideline. And then another nice one in the fourth quarter that set up the, uh, go ahead touchdown to make it a three point game. Uh, but other than that, there was there was a lot left on the bone. Uh, what were some of the throws that you you think Bryce would have wanted back uh, going back into the film on Monday? Well, you talk about that Chark play in the fourth quarter on that fourth down. Uh, if Bryce laid it out in front of him, it's a touchdown. Chark had not a ton of separation, but he had NFL separation, which is a step. And uh, Bryce just couldn't get it out in front of him. Uh, he was facing a little bit of pressure, but I thought he could have stepped up and made that throw. And then the other big one that I wanted to highlight was when Icky and Miles Sanders were both kind of blocking that left side and the pocket was caving in. Uh, I, I don't, I think Bryce got kind of confused as to where Sanders was. Maybe his, uh, his, what's the word? Like his, where he was supposed to be blocking, uh, like wasn't there. And Bryce thought he was somewhere else, but ends up throwing it behind him for uh, what would have been a fumble if the ball didn't go out of bounds. And we ended up losing like, nine or 10 yards there, maybe Uh, just uh, not a great game from him in terms of being able to put the ball in good spots, like uh, the touchdown, if he gets it out in front Uh, and like this, the throwaway there, if he was able to just get it out of bounds, just a couple of bad mistakes there. And uh, aside from like those kind of things, he made some good throws, but it's hard to overlook those when we have yet another loss. 
when we were watching the game live and that Miles Sanders kind of throw slash fumble happened, uh, the way exactly what you're talking about, Miles Sanders goes for the chip block, and I think he's expecting him in a flat. And mm-hmm. as Bryce is turning his body, he can't locate him. And finally, when he sees him, he realizes kind of where he is in the pocket and lets the ball go. And it's it's a 10-yard loss. It's a drive killer. And it's it's mistakes like that that were, were constantly hurting us throughout the game and be a holding call, a false start. And, and we've talked about this in previous weeks. It feels like we can't overcome uh, some of those mistakes. Now, what was nice on that second drive where we uh, drove down the field, put three points on the board, uh, we overcame, I believe, a holding call and drove mm-hmm. down the field and got it to the two-yard line. So it, there are things that we are doing better, um, but we need to improve in those areas, especially now that we're going to play the New Orleans defense coming up. We're going to play Atlanta again. And those defenses at the top of the year gave Bryce fits. And it's just you you wonder if that's going to be a repeat. And we'll get more into that when we break down the Saints game later. But it's it's stuff like that, that if it's not cleaned up, you're just it, it's probably going to lead to to more negative plays rather than positive ones. Yeah, I thought in terms of a like a game management standpoint, I thought we were a lot better this week. Uh, there weren't as many like really, really stupid penalties, like wasted timeouts other than the challenge in the in the first quarter, which could have gone either way. I know you thought it was a catch. I thought he uh, the ball moved a little bit there at the end of the catch for Mingo along the left sideline. But uh, other than that, and at halftime, it was obviously a, uh, a huge blunder to just not even attempt a Hail Mary. I don't know what that was. Like, I, I knew what they were doing, just trying to run the clock out by throwing just it up. Just do a hook and ladder yeah, or something. I, like, just, it, it, yeah, just attempt anything. something. Attempt something. Like, we're trying to win game. Like, we're, this was a 1-10 team coming in. We can't be doing that kind of stuff. Just just attempt something. But other than that, I thought the game was managed pretty well from interim head coach, Chris Tabor. And uh, yeah, that, that's just my main takeaway. We had stuff there and we just couldn't capitalize on it. Now the, the rain did play a factor uh, impacted both quarterbacks. Baker, uh, once the rain started coming down, he had a dropped interception on what would end up being, I think it was, it was a picked up penalty, but initially it was going to be pass interference on Dante. And then there was another one uh, later in the game where he threw it up and Xavier Woods got it. Um, So definitely mistakes that the rain was forcing on both sides. I I wonder if that impacted some of the velocity Bryce was able to put on some of his passes. But what I will say from the defensive side, since we've been talking about the offense so much, it was nice on the one sack that we had on Baker on a third and six. We had Marcus Haynes on the field. We had YGM on the field. We had Brian Burns on the field. And we had Derek Brown. Like, this is this is what we talked about in the offseason, that when we get in these, like, third and mediums, third and longs. We can put a NASCAR package out there and just get after the quarterback with four guys. We can run different stunts. We can just beat them one-on-one. And that, had we had more of that this season, those guys have been healthy, Haynes, YGM. Like, honest to goodness, like, maybe we win a couple more games. Maybe we force a couple more turnovers. And it's it's stuff like that. It's, it's a lot of what-ifs now that we're wrapping up about three quarters into the season. Yeah, to that note, I believe this is the only game so far in which all four players have played together. Uh, Marquise Haynes missed, obviously, the first six or seven games of the year, came back against the Bears, then they took him out again for whatever reason. And YGM's been on IR for quite a while, and he comes back. So it's it's all good, nice and good and everything, but then Brian Burns ends up getting ejected from the game on an extra point attempt from the 
Buccaneers. He said there are some choice words from one of the offensive linemen for the Bucks, and I don't want to like get into that or anything, but like the the defensive line that was doing kind of good took another hit like at the end or I think it was in the third quarter and so we didn't have our best rusher for the rest of the game and it's just stuff like that where it seems like we've got everything together but we just can't catch another break and that that kind of feels like the whole season right like with the offensive line Brady Christensen week one out for the year and then we get Corbett back he's not good when he comes back and he goes back on IR we uh we have to start multiple people in the interior I think uh, I think Mike Kay from the Charlotte Observer said that we had six people this year start at right guard and five at left guard. And one of those people, Brett Toth, uh, we just waved, I believe, right after the game. And uh, yeah, he was a spot starter for us, just like Calvin Throckmorton. And it, the like, it's just not a good uh, not a good scenario for a rookie QB there. Yeah, and I want to go back to that Burns ejection because once he's ejected, I think it was either late in the third or in the fourth quarter, um, the the touchdown drive that kind of pretty much iced it and made an 11-point deficit about halfway through, um, like they're running wide receiver reverses. I, they score mm-hmm. on a Godwin handoff, and it was just they, they realized that we had no edge control and not having Burns on the field, like he obviously is is an edge setter, and they, they knew they could take advantage of it. And it's just it, different miscues like that are the reason that we're a 1-11 and team because if we're, we're playing uh, more fundamentally sound football, we aren't making those mistakes. Um, and obviously, I, and this goes back to more like the training staff, if we don't have as many injuries, we have our, our star players out there more. So uh, just a lot of stuff from the front office is going to have to clean up in the offseason and make sure we bring in the right people because there's a reason like when you look around the league and you look at a team like the Los Angeles Rams, like they stayed healthy for how many years? It's because they invested in their training staff. And then you look at a team like the Washington Commanders or the Los Angeles Chargers who constantly have injuries year to year. It's it, you, you wonder why. And it's it's just systematic. Like this is structural issues. Uh, this this can be fixed with. I, I don't know, changing Bank of America from turf to grass again, making sure you're paying your doctors a little bit more. Like it's it's it seems silly, but for a billionaire owner who wants to win, he's not doing the little things that'll compound and actually build. Um, but again, this is just I like we, we could do a whole segment on what's wrong with Tepper. But again, it, this is, like you said, the epitome of our season at this point. Right. You talk about uh, losing our stars to injury. We got one back this week and J.C. Horn and. Early, like early in the game, he was getting picked on a little bit with mm-hmm. just little dink and dunk passes. But he had a pretty strong game overall. Uh, he played, I think, around 30% of the snaps. Chris Tabor, the interim head coach, said he'd be on a snap count. But I thought he, it was good for him to get back out there along with C.J. Henderson coming back as well. So our secondary is almost at full strength. Von Bell is still out. <laughs> um, not on IR either. I don't know. That's another training staff thing there. But um, hopefully we can get our entire defense together for just one game that'd be really really nice as we get into a stretch of division games here with new orleans and then i think atlanta's after that like you said and then we have a couple more games and then the bucks again at the end of the year yeah it's it's a lot of division games uh we need to have an upset mentality obviously we can't win the division but we can definitely take it away from a couple teams in the division uh, by upsetting an Atlanta, by upsetting a New Orleans, uh, by obviously beating Tampa Bay, and I think what'll be the season finale. So 
different things like that. And, and you need those, those building blocks as momentum going in the next year. Like that, that is really going to build a guy like Bryce Young's confidence, getting the ball more to Mingo and building him up as a rookie so that he's going into an off season. And he learned a lot this rookie year by playing a lot of snaps and, and, and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't. So hopefully moving forward, uh, we have a nucleus that can win games, uh, but that's yet to be seen. Yeah, and uh, real quick before we move on to uh, more around the league, it was nice to see us wearing the all blues again for the first time since 2017. So clean, so clean. And like you said, since 2017, like Mm -hmm. the all blacks are clean, don't get me wrong, but like these are just as good. And again, like it's just uh, poor management from whoever's in charge of the, the jersey coordination. I understood it when it was Jerry Richardson, who was more of a straight A. He came from kind of the Steelers background that everything's clean cut. You just want to wear your whites. But with a new owner, you're trying to make a splash in the community, like jazz it up in the uniform department. At least at least look good if you're going to lose. Like, you know what I mean? Right. And yeah, to that point, like we, we made the uh, the black helmets last year, which were really, really clean that we wore on is it Monday night or Thursday night against the Falcons. And uh, we haven't worn them at all this year. And I don't think yep. we're in, like we're not going to wear them because we don't have a night game. Uh, throughout the rest of the year so like I don't know just uh, do the easy things if nothing else is working do the things you can do to make it a little better and a team that does a really good job from a social media standpoint and uniforms as well a team that we're going to talk about in the around the NFL are the Los Angeles Chargers and they uh, were hosted by the New England Patriots this Sunday in Foxborough and they were wearing their throwback unis so uh, definitely a clean uh, uniform matchup um, that was probably the only thing that was clean in, in Foxborough, though. It was a 6-0 to game. All the field goals were kicked in the first half, so there were zero points scored in the second half. Uh, what were some of the key things you took away from this game? Uh, is this something to be worried about with the Chargers offense only scoring 16 points over the past two weeks? Uh, well, first of all, this was the Ron Rivera Classic, right? Uh, 6-0 <laughs> game. Uh, no plays inside the opponent's 20. So no red zone plays the entire game, which is just bizarre. But yeah, I would be worried uh, for both teams, right? Because one, the Chargers offense. Now the Patriots defense is a pretty good unit, right? They've held, uh, I think it's over the past four games, they've held their opponents to 41 points total. Uh, they're 0-4 over those games, which is just rough. But the defense has been doing their part. But the Chargers offense, this is why you brought Kellen Moore in to juice up the offense you know and six points uh this week 16 points over the past two weeks in a year where you're up to what are they now five and seven uh just like barely barely in the playoff picture yep a year where you're like uh, not you, you really need, not in the well AFC. yeah not really because yeah. you have like the texans and colts uh they're at the in the wild they're at seven wins gonna, right now yeah like they're the, gonna the, like the, shut the them out game, like they've, yeah. they've the door is like one millimeter open like like for the mathematical possibilities and stuff like that. But this was a year that we talked about in the off season that they needed to go all in because they fire a coordinator, the seat under Brandon Staley is getting hot and 16 points in November, December, when you're trying to win the important games just isn't good enough. So hopefully they're able to turn stuff around there, but it, it isn't all on Kellen Moore or Justin Herbert. I think they're doing a lot of good things. It's just, it's just not materializing. And one of the culprits that you have written down here, typical culprit, Quentin Johnston, he's dropping some passes. And this seems like a, a recurring theme now that he's gotten more and more playing time with the Mike Williams injury. 
Well, he's at this point because he needs to catch the the ball with his body. He's running a lot of in breaking routes. He's running a lot of slants. Uh, he had one against J.C. Jackson that J.C. Jackson just straight up broke up the play. And like, mm-hmm. if you, you're going to be a big bodied receiver who can't create separation, then you need a box out. He's not able to do that. He had a crossing route on a third and 12. Justin Herbert literally hits him in stride, very similar to the Packers game, drops the ball. And it's just this guy has struggled since college and now to the pros to catch the ball with his hands. And that is just the fundamental trait that you need. And I know you've said it before, and maybe it is just as simple as putting him in front of the jugs machine for hours each day. But whatever they need to do, they haven't done it. And it's just it's a waste of talent on the field because the positions you need to put him in to succeed are not exactly the areas that he excelled at in college. And it's just, it's frustrating, especially when you invested a first round draft pick in this guy and guys like Zay Flowers and Jordan Addison were taken directly after him. Yeah, I I do think catching with your hands is probably the easiest treat to like gain or teach, like just with repetition. And that's what the jugs machine is for. Uh, But yeah, it is concerning that this hasn't evolved from his college game because in college, he, he was a very good yak threat despite his big size. Like uh, he would get crossers and stuff like that. The routes that he's being thrown now, he would catch those and take them to the house against people. Even in the Michigan uh, college football playoff semifinal game, when they were mounting their comeback in the fourth quarter, he gets a little drag route like five yards down the field takes it 65 yards to the house. Like this is the stuff he's good at. And these are the situations he's being put in, but he's just not being able to cash in on those. And it is disappointing to see considering you have stars already like Addison, Zay Flowers, uh, Puka Nakua with the Rams. I, I We'll talk about the Rams a little bit more later, but that one uh, play over the middle, it was just like a deep over. Uh, it, was, it wasn't even a deep over. It was almost a slant where he got yep. behind the safety came down and he got behind him 70 yards to the house. It's just stuff like that, that uh, I'm sure the chargers fans and the chargers front office as well, kind of wants out of Quentin Johnson, but that's just not there right now. But uh, hopefully they're able to turn that around. I want to, I also want to talk about the Patriots offense because this was a week where we saw Mac Jones benched again. I think this is yep. his fourth or fifth time. This is the first time I believe uh, before the game, he's been benched. Like he just didn't play. And uh, Bailey Zappi was just who we thought he was. Zero points against not a very good defense. I'd say they're kind of middle of the pack, maybe like 20th or something like that. But he just didn't play well either. And he he dealt with some drops as well. But it's clear that it's not just a Mac Jones problem. Now, granted, Jones has regressed to a like very, very low-level starter as opposed to an average pers- or average QB, uh, which he was his rookie year. But Zappi's not any better. And I don't know if they want to try Malik Cunningham next game because I know they activated him. I don't know if he's any better than uh, Mac Jones or Zappi either. I think it's an entire offensive structure problem. And it starts at the top with Belichick and Bill O'Brien. Yeah, no, those are the two I would hold most accountable. You you bring in Bill O'Brien to try and fix this offense from the disaster it was last year with Matt Patricia. And it, it doesn't seem like it's improved, which, I mean, that's that's not exactly what you want when you're making that change. Now, to, to Bailey Zappi's defense, uh, he did throw the ball with a little bit of zip. Uh, he had Tyquan Thornton down the uh, down the left-hand side at one point in the game, just went through his hands. Parker went up, made a great uh, catch, a good 50-50 contested ball catch, uh, but his one foot stepped out. And so it was different, different plays like that that were drive killers. Then on one of their first drives that had him in field goal range in the first half, 
Uh, Ramondre Stevenson fumbles on a carry, but it looked like he got injured on the play and drops the ball because of the injury. He's out for the rest of the game, and he was a difference maker because I think earlier on that drive when they were kind of moving down the field, they had a fourth and one. And similar to what the Jaguars did in the wild card round where they had the epic meltdown, they did a little kind of uh, handoff to Ramondre Stevenson. He took it around the outside and it was exactly what they did with Travis Etienne, the Jaguars a couple months prior. So it's just, it's very interesting to see teams consistently bring up plays that gave the Chargers issues and they don't have an answer for it. And I think a lot of that falls on Brandon Staley. Like, yes, he pitches a shutout, but again, this is Bailey Zappi behind a bad offensive line with bad weapons on the perimeter. Like this isn't like this isn't something to write home about because like what you were saying is, is the Patriots, uh, they they have allowed over the past three weeks ten or less points. So they've allowed twenty six points in their last three contests. Now every other team in the NFL that has allowed ten or fewer points this year is undefeated. The Patriots are one in three when doing so. So as as much as, yes, we need to put a lot of flack on Bill Belichick because he is the head guy, he needs to go into this offseason, whether it's getting a Josh McDaniels or getting a young offensive guru that's going to bring in new philosophies and new play designs. He needs to do that with whoever the quarterback is going to be because they're at number two right now. So that they'll probably take Caleb Williams or Drake May at this rate. Yeah, I, I agree. And more so the personnel is something I worry about as well, because we see what happened when we brought Bryce Young here, who was pretty yep. much the consensus number one QB, really good career at Alabama, all that kind of stuff. And then he's behind a really bad offensive line, particularly the interior and the left side. The receivers can't get any separation. And a couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at the open scores of the Panthers versus Texans wide receivers and their yak scores and all that, all of the Patriots receivers were below Mingo, who at that time was the lowest uh, for the Panthers. And the Patriots' O-line isn't anything to write home about either. So I kind of worry if the infrastructure is there for a new QB, because like you said, they're likely going to take Drake May or Caleb Williams, or uh, Belichick might pull the classic trade back and they might end up with (laughs) Jaden Daniels or something. I think they are going to go QB, but is the infrastructure there for a rookie QB is what I wonder because we're firsthand fans of uh, a situation where it isn't. And that's what concerns me for whatever QB they're going to end up taking. It, it does concern me, but I will say in the Patriots' favor, they do have all their picks mm-hmm. and they do have a lot of cap space. So a couple of years ago when they drafted Mac Jones, they put a team around them. That's exactly what I think they're in pos- a, a position to do. And if, if you're going to do it, this is the year to do it. Like you just re-signed Belichick in the offseason. If you're Robert Kraft, you're looking at this as like, okay, we're pivoting towards the future. And this is it. If, if Bill Belichick can't capitalize on this next draft class and hit it big in free agency, um, I think his job needs to be in, in question at this point. And, and it probably should be already. He is in a little bit of a hot seat. And that's why we're talking about it in this way. Um, But a guy I want to talk about that's a little bit older as a player as we're wrapping up this game is a guy that I've actually been impressed with over the past several weeks, and it's Khalil Mack. Over the past five games, he's had four where he's had two plus sacks. Uh, He has 15 on the season. Uh, he's, he's found a little bit of a fountain of youth. He's been able to get after the quarterback and he leads the NFL, like I said, with 15 sacks. So this is a guy where we talked about, um, uh, not clowny miles Garrett thinking about old Brown's edge rusher, but I, where Garrett was leading the NFL in sacks and on, on pace to break the record. Now max in a position where if he keeps up this kind of pace and production, 
he might break that record. Yeah, I, I know you've always been a huge Khalil Mack fan, so I'm excited for you that he's uh, he's really eating right now. And I think a big part of why he's able to be so productive, uh, despite the loss of Joey Bosa for the season now, was the rookie addition of Tuli Tui Pelotu from he's, USC. He's a beast, he, dude. He is a monster among that Chargers defensive line. He, uh, other than Khalil Mack, who's been impressive throughout this year, he's the reason that Chargers defense isn't like bottom of the barrel. He's just a... a pressure like havoc reeker uh, on the outside and in the interior because he can kind of switch between both with his size so i think that going forward if they choose to keep mac not only would he be a good mentor and teacher for toy pelotu but i think the combination of those two with joey bosa getting back eventually hopefully all three of them are healthy for the stretch next year but i think that's the makings of a good defensive line especially if you can add one more guy that's a space eater. Uh, like a like when they tried to add, uh, they what was it, Sebastian Joseph Day a couple years ago? Yep. Somebody like that, or like a Daquan Jones, somebody of that caliber. That that'd be a good uh, strong defensive line in a division with kind of like pretty competent QB play now, especially with uh, the Broncos surging. Yeah, you're gonna need guys that can get after the quarterback, whether that's edge rushers or guys in the interior, and hopefully whoever the new regime is uh, with the Los Angeles Chargers next year, because I'm assuming Staley will be terminated. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, is able to kind of work with that nucleus and then add to it, whether it's the draft or free agency, and it, it'll be interesting to see. I, I think, like you said, that if they they add a couple more pieces, this is an elite group or a potentially borderline elite group. And that's what you need when you play in a division with Patrick Mahomes, uh, Sean Payton now with Russ and the Broncos, um, and even the Raiders. I, I think the Raiders are a feisty bunch at this point, and it's it's good to be able to get after the quarterback and end drives with sacks. So that's um, that's always a big takeaway uh, when you're team, uh, building a team. Now, moving into the next section, we have the coach talk. And there's a guy on here that you've been wanting to talk about for weeks. Um, he was down 14 the zip, uh, not this past Sunday, but the week before. They ended up winning the game 31-17. We kind of tabled the topic, but after this past week's loss, uh, I want to give you the floor to talk about uh, Andy Reid and kind of kind of what you feel like has been an underwhelming season so far after winning the Super Bowl. Yeah. Well, every team, not every team, but most teams have a Super Bowl hangover, right? And so, like, I think we expected the Chiefs wouldn't go, they were, I believe they were 13 and 4 last year. They might have regressed a game or two, but the offense in particular has just looked horrid the past couple of weeks. Uh, now, like you said, two weeks ago, they rallied against the Raiders, but there's a stretch before then. And then this past week, uh, when they lost to the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau, the offense just looks out of place. And a lot of it is on the wide receivers. You know, this is another paltry group of wide receivers. It seems like there's quite a few of those groups this season in the uh, NFL, but uh, the offense just looks out of sync and it's the offensive line too. Like Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor aren't, or Jawan Taylor's fine, but Donovan Smith isn't doing what he needs to do. They had Wanya Morris, a guy that we liked uh, out of Oklahoma that they drafted. They had him in there for a good amount of snaps this past weekend. And, I don't know. Like that, my question to you, it's just my question to you. What's going on with the offense? Like, I, I there's things I've listed, but what do you think the main culprit is? I mean, to, to see three losses in the past five games for the Chiefs is definitely concerning. 
Uh, drops are problematic. Uh, when you look at it from like an EPA standpoint, I believe Patrick Mahomes is second in EPA loss to drops. Um, so that's that's a huge factor to some of the games that you see play out. Um, I think part of it is, is that Mahomes doesn't trust some of these wide receivers. I mean, you make draft investments in Sky Moore, you go out, you get an MVS, you, you try to build a, a group that can kind of replace what Tyree Kill did. And at the end of the day, they weren't able to do that. And so it's it's nice that they've had Rasheed Rice come on as kind of um, a guy that they can hit in the middle in different slant routes and take some of the pressure off Kelsey, but they haven't had anyone recently that is able to command respect from the defense and when you look at how Andy Reid has always built his teams you go back to the Eagles days and you even go back to his early time with the Chiefs they didn't put a lot of emphasis on the wide receiver position like back in his Philadelphia day the biggest thing they did was went out and got T.O. Outside of that, it is hard to name an Eagles wide receiver in the 2000s outside of like a Jeremy Macklin or Deshaun Jackson. Like it's it's very rare to see that. And then in his time in Kansas City, if Ken Dorsey, not Ken Dorsey, John Dorsey, I knew I was going to mess this up. I, I In pre-recording, I was like, I'm going to mess this up. Um, John Dorsey, he was the guy that hit on Tyreek Hill. Travis Kelsey and these late round picks and they, they turned out to be great, but it's, it's again, one of the principles the chiefs have haven't invested a lot of high draft capital into some of these areas, or they haven't traded for a guy. Like I, I thought in the off season, they needed to be aggressive and go after a Brandon Ayuk, even if that costs a couple high end draft picks, because he's that much of a difference maker. And he would, he would add to what the chiefs want to do on offense. And so if they don't take that priority going into next offseason, we're just going to see more of these issues until that wide receiver position, I think, is fixed. I agree there. I think the wide receiver uh, hole on the roster is a big crux of this. But you talked about taking pressure off of Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey himself hasn't performed uh, to the Kelsey standard the past couple of weeks. Uh, the past five weeks, uh, he has 81, 91, 44, 14, and 58 yards. Uh, and I know that's just yards, but compared it to earlier in the season where he had 179, 124, and he had touchdowns in uh, four of his first six games, whereas he only has one in the last five, he's kind of fallen off a bit too. And I wonder if that's just a uh, a symptom of this bad offense, but it's not like he's carrying them over the top like he did last year. Yeah, and he's he's getting older. Like at mm -hmm. this point, Travis Kelsey is 34 years old. Like that's not young, and this was this was an issue that we talked about, say last year, where the fact that like if if he he takes a step back, the reason why they were able to go to the Super Bowl is because they still had a elite pass catcher. Um, and I'm backtracking now, heavy, but Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, both lose their wide receiver one last offseason. One wins the Super Bowl, the other misses the playoffs. And, and everybody goes, oh, well, this this worked out for the Chiefs. Well, it worked out for the Chiefs because they still had an elite pass catcher, but he was getting older, and that's why they needed to replace him. And they haven't been able to replace him. And that's going to be an issue moving forward is that if you don't have an elite pass catcher for him, it's going to put a lot more of the burden on Patrick Mahomes. And right now he just, like, like I said earlier, he doesn't trust his supporting cast. Yeah, uh, they're definitely going to have to invest heavily heavily this offseason into the wide receiver spot luckily there's going to be guys like possibly t higgins calvin ridley i think uh Ayuk will be on his fifth year if they pick up his or i think his option is picked up maybe they can trade for him so they might be able to get a spot there but there's going to be other candidates right like the patriots like we talked about 
Uh, I believe the Panthers have more uh, spending power next offseason than the Chiefs because of like all their heavy contracts. So there are going to be people competing for those wide receivers. They're going to have to hit on one late in the or late in the first round. I think they've taken defensive line the past couple years and uh, Trent McDuffie as well. So they've been focusing on the defense, but I do think they need to hammer that offensive side of the ball in the early rounds of the draft next year. And then there's some other guys that kind of had down weeks that we wanted to talk about. Uh, you listed Dan Quinn as one of them. Dan Quinn and Jim Schwartz are the two that I want to kind of bring up. Uh, I'm not as concerned about one as I am the other, um, but both of them allowed 30 plus point games. Uh, now, Geno Smith, he is amazing inside of a dome. I saw some split stats where he is he is phenomenal, where he's kind of in this closed off, controlled atmosphere. And, and that probably played a part in him going nuclear in that game and just finding DK Metcalf and just really just pressing that button routinely throughout the night and taking advantage of that mismatch. Um, I think that's worrisome because if you're able to do that uh, from a Seahawks offensive standpoint, then I think a rematch with the 49ers, I'd expect them to drop kind of similar to the 30 piece that they did uh, when they, they blanketed them the first go round in Santa Clara. So that that's a little bit worrisome. Jim Swartz, though, is the one I'm most worried about because his aggressive play style, getting after the quarterback, getting after the ball carrier, it's now allowed for offensive play callers to understand that, okay, if you're going to send all this pressure and have everybody like nose to the ball, we're just going to run some misdirection. We'll run some screens. We'll run some short passes to the opposite side. And that's what you saw when they took advantage of the Puka situation is that the safety kind of came down. Uh, it was a one-on-one -on -one and he went the distance. And so it's different things like that, that if the Browns don't clean up their defensive play, which I mean, right now they've, they've allowed a lot more points in recent weeks to the Baltimore Ravens and then this past week against the Rams. And so you wonder if this defense that's been carrying them all season, if they're starting to get exposed down the stretch, if they're going to be able to win those games, if they're going to be able to sneak into the playoffs. I think right now they do have a playoff berth, um, but that can easily change, especially when we talked about earlier in the episode that the Colts and the Texans, I think both have seven wins apiece. So uh, a lot of people are knocking on the door, and that's what I'm most concerned about because Jim Schwartz has been phenomenal so far with his defensive play calling. Yeah, uh, I'm in agreement with you. With Dan Quinn, I'm not too, too concerned. It was also a Thursday night game, you know, and weird things can happen on Thursday night games. Uh, so I'm not too concerned there, and the Cowboys did end up uh, eking out a win there. But, yeah, with Jim Schwartz, you said his whole uh, defensive – mindset is based on pressuring the QB. The Rams allowed zero sacks this game. Uh, now, granted, the Browns were good on third down getting off the field. They held them uh, four of 12. Uh, they didn't attempt any fourth downs. But like you said, they were able to take advantage of some of those heavy blitzes and stuff like that. And I think, like you're talking about, not so much as exposing the defense, but with the Browns' poor offense throughout the season, I think having to carry the load might start weighing the defense down. I think that's what offense, opposing offenses are able to take advantage of. Absolutely. I, I completely concur with that. Again, it's adjustments that are made throughout the season. And McVay is a phenomenal play caller. So it's one of those things that this is elite versus elite. If Jim Schwartz is able to kind of go back to the drawing board, make sure that corrections and adjustments are made 
Um, I don't think this is going to be an issue, but again, this is Jim Schwartz philosophy. So it's, it's one of those things that it's, it's going to be a weakness with his game plan regardless. Um, moving though, into more positive news, and I shouldn't say news, but a segment is our best performances of the week. We typically have a theme with each one. And this week it's, it's wide receivers who really, really did their own thing on Sunday. I mean, all four wide receivers that we're going to talk about, um, we could have thrown Puka kind of in this conversation, but the four that we're going to talk about all came away with wins. And the first guy I want to talk about probably the primetime matchup this past Sunday, the Eagles hosted the 49ers and Debo absolutely went off. Uh, what was probably your favorite play of his on Sunday? Uh, that would be Brock Purdy's uh, touchdown pass to Debo, where uh, he, Debo ran a little crosser across the field for like four yards, broke a tackle, and then he just housed it. Uh, ended up with three total touchdowns on seven touches with over 130 total yards. And he was just a monster, like you're saying. That whole team has good players across the skill positions and the offensive line and their defense isn't bad either and some days or some weeks it's just whose turn is it you know is it Ayuk's turn to go off this week is it McCaffrey's turn it's always McCaffrey's turn because he's just that good is it Kittle's turn uh but this week it was Debo's turn and he really helped that offense like just break first of all break the Eagles winning streak against really good teams in the Bills and the uh Chiefs but he just helped put them over the top yeah, I follow a beat writer for the 49ers. Um, he he does some really great coverage on that organization. And it was interesting. I, I kind of tuned into a, a Twitter live space and he was discussing that like Debo and Kittle would probably be the two guys that go off. And sure enough, Kittle had a lot of third down conversions against the the poor linebackers core as it is right now. I mean, they lose Kazir White and um who, who went to chicago i think he leads the nfl uh, right now in sacks. tj edwards tj tj edwards so they not in sacks yeah. no but no no yeah, not yeah. sacks tackles um yeah, my yeah, bad. Yeah. yeah yeah mac leads the league in sacks right now but tj edwards uh at one point this year he was leading in tackles because your white went with jonathan jonathan gannon to arizona and you lose your core you lose your your uh, and, defensive coordinator and nakobe dean whom they drafted last year from the uh georgia bulldogs he's on ir now yeah so like they are they're down to the bones um it's one of the reasons why they signed shaq leonard this past week is they they understand that is a weak point of their team but debo in the interviews going back to kind of what the beat writer was talking about um is that like debo said straight up i have the mismatch of the game like i'm getting the ball and like the fact that he had enough confidence to kind of come out and say that like I remember like listening to it and going, I, I think Debo is a little bit confident on this. Like he's definitely a baller, but I, I was not expecting the performance he put on, but he, he expected of himself. Uh, clearly that was the offensive kind of direction and how they were funneling in uh, against the Eagles in terms of their schematic uh, schemes. And it, it was cool to see. Uh, he, he lit him up. Now another guy um, that was a huge, um, I wouldn't say catalyst because the game was in hand regardless. Uh, but Tyree Kill absolutely torched the Washington Commanders for five receptions, 157 yards, two touchdowns. Uh, I didn't know if you wanted to kind of get into the miscommunication play on that second touchdown. Uh, 
uh, from a defensive standpoint or from the offensive standpoint? Well, it was, it was offense. Uh, yeah. Tyreek Hill okay, is looking so, like it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Tyreek ran kind of the wrong route. He took a wrong angle, and uh, Tua was able to throw the ball to him, and he was able to put just enough air on it where he adjusted and caught it. But even with that kind of mishap, the commander's back end is just horrible. Like, both of uh, Tyreek Hill's touchdowns, they just let him run right past him. And now, with the Dolphins team, the safeties are always in conflict, right? Because they have to deal with Jalen Waddle on the other side or in the slot. And then they have guys like Mostert or A-Chain, who also had two touchdowns in this game, coming out of the backfield that they have to deal with. So, they're always put in conflict. But when they're able to take advantage of that conflict and when the safety makes a mistake, it's just free game. And that's what happened with Tyreek, both of Tyreek Hill's touchdowns. He just got past him. Like the corners gave him 10, what was it, like eight to 10 yards well, space. The, the first touchdown was a, a check that Tua made because it was a third and short. Um, obviously the commanders were expecting more of a short pass. And as soon as Tua, Tua realized there wasn't safety help, he called the, the pretty much vertical route, the go that, Tyreek ran and that was an easy touchdown so and it seems like he always gets like one of those like it, it's at least once a week or once every other week where it's just mm -hmm. easy go ball and it's boom there um and then that second one again it was very similar to the Panthers where as soon as the safety bites just a little bit Tua is releasing that ball like he understands Tyreek Hill's speed is not something you can mess around with like if you hesitate he's going to burn you and that's sure enough what he did uh another guy who kind of balled out last night actually with a backup quarterback jamar chase uh, i think at one point he had like five receptions and 11 yards to start the game but he ended up ending the game with 11 receptions 149 yards and a touchdown a uh, big reason why they won the game last night especially with uh browning in the game yeah i didn't see most of this game so i can't speak to uh what he was able to do but he obviously played a pretty big part in upsetting the jaguars down in jacksonville and now the Jags are dealing with a couple injuries now coming away from this game. So this game had a lot of uh, like importance on the AFC standings, right? Because Lawrence might miss a week or two and Christian Kirk looks to be out for at least a good long while because of the, was it the, he tore his ab or something, or it was like an internal muscle tear. It was so like, I, yeah, it was a groin injury or, or a like groin, tes yeah. testicular tension. I, I don't or, know if I'm pronouncing it right, but I think that yeah, was, was what it was deemed. Yeah, I saw something today that said if they make it to the Super Bowl, he might be back. So uh, good wishes for him, and hopefully he recovers fully. Yeah, no, he's he's on a lot of my fantasy teams, so that that's definitely a blow. Um, but wish him a speedy recovery. He's a great player. Uh, he's got a great rapport with Trevor Lawrence. I think Trevor Lawrence's ankle sprain is something to monitor. Like you said, mm -hmm. he's probably going to be out maybe a week, maybe two. Uh, we'll see about that. Right now, they're – they're only a game up in the AFC South. So it's one of those right. things that they got to stay on their P's and Q's. This was a game of importance. Had they pulled out the dub last night, it would have given them a little bit of breathing room while they're dealing with these injuries. But it was just, it was a bunch of losses compounded on a Monday night game that they hosted. Yeah, this was a division that uh, at least I thought that they would run away with. But this has been one of, if not the most competitive divisions in the league so far this year. So that's a pretty big injury on both fronts, Lawrence and Kirk to monitor. Hopefully they're able to get back healthy and retain their lead because I know the Texans beat them. Uh, I don't know. I know they beat the Colts week one, the Jags, that is. And I don't know if they've played them twice, but 
No, I think they have. At, their at, any, at any rate, now. the Texans at least have split with them. So those are. No, 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 they I have think I think they swept. They swept Indy, if I remember mm-hmm. correctly. So they swept Indy. I think they have to play Tennessee still, and then they split with Houston. Gotcha. Um, okay. But so, yeah, either way, uh, they have important games coming up. They do, and uh, the Jaguars need to get healthy if they want to make kind of like a playoff run of sorts uh this is a stacked afc i don't know if this jaguars team is really equipped to uh beat the chiefs or beat the ravens uh but that that's yet to remain to be seen this isn't a jaguar segment we're in best performances so last but not least we're gonna bring up mike evans who torched us um we talked about this earlier he had his big long touchdown against troy hill uh, he had a couple nice catches against J.C. Horn. Uh, really just had his way all game for seven receptions, 162 yards, and a touchdown. But the biggest thing is, is he has done something that no other wide receiver has done, and that started his career with 10 consecutive 1,000 receiving yard seasons. Currently, the the record stands at six. So he is he has put gap on that every year that he's been in the league for the past like four years. And then the record is Jerry Rice did it for 11 consecutive seasons at one point. So if he does it again next year, he ties an all-time great. And what I want to throw out to you, and I understand this is a division rival. It's not necessarily something you want to talk about. But when you see such superb play year in and year out at such a high level, like this, this guy deserves a gold jacket. He has a Super Bowl ring with Brady. Uh, this is a guy that has transformed kind of the Bucks offense since he's been there, given Jameis Winston reliable target, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick with his short time there, uh, and now Baker Mayfield on top of obviously Tom Brady, who he won the Super Bowl with. Yeah, I have no question that he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, I, I know a lot of people like on social media throw around, oh, this guy's a Hall of Famer all the time, stuff like that. To me, there are very few current players that deserve that kind of uh, praise. And Mike Evans is one of them. Like you said, 1,000-yard season every year he's been in the league. Did it with Jameis, who was a gunslinger. Did it with Ryan Fitzpatrick in his stead. With Tom Brady, obviously, in his latter years. And now with Baker Mayfield, who uh, is missing some throws, has some drops and stuff like that. Not quite the Hall of Fame level that uh, Tom Brady is at. But he, he's been decent on his own right. And... Evans is just turning it up every year and I'm glad he didn't do what he did last year against us for which I feel like was 200 yards and two touchdowns but he still had another crazy game marked by that really I think it was a 75 yard touchdown play in the right after we scored the touchdown to take the lead so props to him hopefully he doesn't do this again to us when we play them in week 18. That is a hope, but it always feels like when we've played some of our division rivals with star wide receivers, they 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 get the best of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but hopefully, J.C. Horn, he's healthy, he's back, uh, he can make a difference down the stretch. So we'll see. Moving into the MVP watch, this is a big topic of concern. I know we're already at the forty-five minute mark, but this is something we want to kind of delve into because there's a lot of in movement in the betting market that Brock Purdy is the favorite. I don't think that should be the case. I think the number one guy is the same guy we had at number one last week, and that's Dak Prescott. This guy's still on pace for, I think, about 4,500 yards. He leads the NFL with 26 touchdown passes. He has the highest QBR he's had since his rookie season. His QBR is currently 75.4. He's second in EPA per play and third in success rate. This is a, a bona fide star right now. 
Uh, he is slinging it left and right, and he is dotting up defenses. I mean, when when you see the dimes, he's throwing the Jake Ferguson, C.D. Lamb. They'll be draped sometimes, and he still puts the ball in the money. And that, to me, is what makes an MVP an MVP. Like, that's what we saw with Cam back in 2015, what we've seen with Mahomes over the years, with Rodgers. I, when, when you need that player to go get you a bucket, they get you a bucket. And down the stretch, they're going to play the Eagles. Uh, I think they have the Bills and the Dolphins as well. So some tough competition. And if he pulls out some W's on in some of those weeks, I, I think this is a team and a player that deserves that kind of recognition. Yeah, he's been playing out of his mind like the last five or six weeks. And like you said, Really good counting numbers, all of that. He's, I think he's been the best he's been his entire time in the league, even better than his rookie year where he led his team to the playoffs there. Uh, but I do think narrative-wise, because at this point the MVP is a narrative award, whether we like it or not, he's going to have to beat the Eagles this week. Uh, and I think it is Sunday night football, that game, and in Dallas and all that. But he's going to have to beat a couple of these big teams to take home the award, in my opinion. But yeah, I, I think there's nobody more deserving so far this season. I do think it's been a weaker race compared to other years for the MVP award, but I think he deserves it. And then we, we have a couple other guys we want to get to before the whole Brock Purdy debate. Uh, Tyree Kill has been on this list quite a few times, and he's still on this list mostly because he's on pace for over 2,000 yards. He, he could hit 2,100 yards. I think he's just shy of that on the projections. His receptions and touchdowns um, aren't necessarily like record setting. Uh, he's got 93 receptions right now, 12 touchdowns. Uh, he leads the league, and I believe, yards and touchdowns, and he's second in receptions only to Keenan Allen. Uh, so this is a guy that could win a triple crown, similar to Cooper Cup a couple years ago. He could break that 2,000 mark. And if you do that with what he's done in Miami, like he is, he has been a difference maker. Like to have some of those go ball opportunities or that miscommunication he had with Tua and still be able to flip his hips and make a play on the ball and score. Like that kind of playmaking is just it's it's really not something we've seen in the league in terms of just that acceleration. We've seen guys of uh, 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 who have had phenomenal speed in terms of off the charts with that, with a Randy Moss. We've had guys like Megatron and Julio who who can go up and catch regardless of who's covering them. Um, but what Tyreek Hill does is just so special, and it's just so hard to cover him. And I think that that garnishes some respect when quarterback play, like you said, has been down. I understand quarterbacks are the most valuable uh, player on the field, but what what Hill is doing is is special and deserves recognition. Absolutely, uh, he, he's having one of the best wide receiver seasons that I can think of in recent memory. And if he triple crowns with two K yards, I'm sorry, Dak, but my vote's going to Tyree Kill there. I think that's his, just something his, we haven't seen before. His yards per route run, I think, is above four yards, and we haven't seen anything above like three. Mm -hmm. yeah like, it's insane since it's been ch charted and like it's one of those things i get it i get it's a quarterback award it's a quarterback driven league but some of this stuff you, you just got to get the props to the guy like that's insane yeah uh for sure and then we have lamar jackson here um he he's not i don't think he's gonna win it um he doesn't have the counting numbers and what dak's been doing the past couple weeks despite lamar jackson still playing very well, just the numbers Dak's putting up in the wins they're pulling off. I think he's pulled away from any QB, at least in the MVP regard. Uh, the betting markets may disagree. Uh, and then guys like Christian McCaffrey could still hang around. But to me, this is a Dak and Tyree kill race. But 
we you wanted to talk about Brock Purdy, so I'm going to let you have the floor. So a lot of people are going to the point to, well, the, the betting market favors him. He leads in all these advanced metric categories, and that's great. Uh, the 49ers last year, before they traded for Christian McCaffrey, were 3-3. Three and three. They went 12-2 and two after that, uh, including the playoffs. So that includes their loss against the Eagles. But they went 4-1 and one with Jimmy G as the starter. And that the only loss they took was the first game they played after trading for Christian McCaffrey on a short week. And it was to the then would-be Super Bowl champions, Kansas City Chiefs. So that, that wasn't a, a quote-unquote bad loss, so to speak. And when you look at this year, uh, Debo Samuel, Trent Williams, they get hurt. And the 49ers drop three straight games going into their bye week. And so what I want to point out is that when they are healthy, when they have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, Kyle Juszczyk, George Kittle, Trent Williams, they are unstoppable. They are the best team, arguably, uh, for for 60 minutes right now. And, and there's really no dispute. You have Kyle Shanahan calling the plays, and he knows he can just break down a defense because it doesn't matter how you want to bracket or cover people. That's going to leave another one of your guys open. And he just abuses that time in and time out. But when, when you see that three-game stretch this year and you look at that and just isolate it, I understand splits aren't the best way of looking at offensive play, but they were 16th in the league in EPA per play. They were average, and that's exactly what Proc Purdy is. He's 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 an average quarterback that is playing at a top 10 quarterback level. I would not say he's top five, and it's, it's one of those things that he's getting boosted because he has so many great playmakers around him. And when, when you look at Kevin Cole or a couple other people in the analytics industry that kind of parse out quarterback play from team play and you get an adjusted EPA per play, he is below guys like Josh Allen, Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, he's not all of a sudden this this star-studded guy that the advanced numbers would tell you he is. And I think that's 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 proven with when guys miss or they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, that this is a team that is borderline average on offense if they do not have their stars. You make a lot of good points, and I, I also have a couple points that I'd like to bring up. The Cowboys offense isn't bad, right? Like, they have a decent O-line. They have CeeDee Lamb, who's good. Pollard's good in the running game and all that kind of stuff. It's not the 49ers by any means. But what the, the, the award is, oh, we talked about it being a narrative award, and Brock Purdy just beat the Philadelphia Eagles, who are have been the best team Stomped in the league him. so far. Stomped them. Stomped them in Philly. Like, in absolutely. Philly. Right. And it was raining and everything. It was a primetime game, all that kind of stuff. So he's got narrative behind him. And then it's also a stats award, right? We talked about what Dak's done with his yards and his, uh, his touchdown numbers. Well, Purdy is, uh, I believe, third or tied for third in uh, touchdown passes. No, excuse me. He's fourth. Uh, Josh Allen and two are tied for second with 23 touchdown passes. Um, he's first in touchdown percentage. Uh, he's 10th in interception percentage, like on the good side. And in terms of advanced statistics, we talked about uh, Dak with EPA per play, success rate, and stuff like that. Purdy is first in most of those. First in EPA, CPOE. I know we're not a huge fan of that one. But adjusted EPA per play, Purdy's first. EPA per play, Purdy's first. Success rate, he's first. Completion percentage, he's second. Uh, that's not a huge indicator there. Uh, CPOE, Purdy's second. Stuff like that. Like the stuff that uh, Dak has pretty high, where he's like second or third, Purdy's first in a lot of those. 
so he has the advanced statistics argument. Like I know the EPA argument's a huge one for MVPs. I think it was like every MVP since 2010 or 2011 with the exception for Cam Newton was first in EPA that season. And currently Brock Purdy is first in EPA per play. And so some of these things along with the narrative argument do tend to like kind of go in Purdy's favor. Now, I don't know if he should be MVP. He's certainly not playing better than Dak Prescott, but the numbers and stuff like that do favor him. My, my, my question to you, though, is, and I'm, I'm not saying Sam Darnold would be an upgrade, but if Brock Purdy goes down and nobody else gets hurt, what is stopping Sam Darnold from putting kind of the same performance on the field? Because Jimmy G last year, like I said, after they trade for Christian McCaffrey, they have all these options open in their offense. They, they went four and one. Like after that mm-hmm. Christian McCaffrey trade, they looked just as good. Brock Purdy came in picked up right where Jimmy G left off. And that to me is like, if, if Purdy for some reason went down, I don't think they necessarily skipped that much of a beat with Sam Darnold. And that is kind of my point with the MVP conversation is that if you can get that kind of production from an average quarterback in the NFL, then like, what, what are we doing here? Like to me, like what is going on in Dallas is very special because I don't know how many quarterbacks put in that system are making some of those throws on a down in down out basis. And and I may be wrong, but it's one of those things that I, I'm not in agreement with the betting market. I don't think they're actually watching the games. I think they see those numbers, like you're saying. They're box score warriors. And it's it's frustrating because I don't think – I think Purdy's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great one. Do you think the MVP voter, MVP voters watch all the games? I, from some of the people who have made comments that have votes, it, it would lead me to believe they don't. Um, but I'm sure some of them do like, and I, I think it's at this point, like you said, very narrative driven that if Dak wants to make his case, he's got to beat Philly. He's going to have to beat Buffalo and Miami on the road. Like he's going to have to probably win out to beat out Purdy. To Um, me, what it comes down to is he doesn't just have to beat Philly. He has to win his division because do you think they're going to give the award to the guy with the fifth seed? No, they, and that's, that's, that's my thing as well. Like, because the, the Niners could very easily win the NFC after beating Philly because they have a tiebreaker now should they have the same record. So, like, you know. They do. Now, what I will say that goes in the Dallas Cowboys' favor is that they play the Eagles at home. Then they will be on the road against Buffalo and Miami, like I was saying. But then they'll be at home against Detroit. Um, the Philly game is obviously the night game. The Detroit game is a Monday night game. Both of those are at home. If you look at how they've played at home over the past, um, let me count them, uh, Los Angeles after their bye, 43 points. So that's their first game at home after the bye. New York Giants afterwards, 49 points at home. Washington on Thanksgiving, 45 points. Last week against Seattle on Thursday night, 41 points. They have dropped four 40-point games at home. So if this is going to be the time where Dak makes his case, it's going to be against Philly. It's going to be against Detroit in prime time. And if he goes nuclear in those games, I think he has a case. I, I think he legitimately has a case. And at that point, if you win some of those big games, you win the division. Um, like you said, if he doesn't get the number one seed, that, that that might give it the Purdy. But I think if he wins the division, he's right there. So just looking at the remaining schedules, both teams have five games left. They both play Washington, so we'll scratch that one. The Cowboys schedule, other than those, Eagles, Bills, Dolphins, Lions. Two of those are at home, right? So not the easiest schedule. 
the Niners disregarding Washington. Uh, Seahawks, Cardinals, Baltimore, and the Rams. Three of those are at home. The only one away is the Cardinals. So I do think the Niners have a better chance of taking the conference. But uh, hopefully the Cowboys are able to pull it off because I'm in agreement with you that uh, I don't think Purdy should win it. He's uh, He was Mr. Irrelevant for a reason in the NFL draft. It's not like he's doing uh, crazy things. He's just operating the system, which is an underrated kind of trait in the NFL. I think uh, when we talk about system QBs, it kind of sheds a, an odd light on QBs because operating in a system at a high level wins games. It's what Tua is able to do. That's, that's why... You couldn't drop every QB in to the Dolphins offense and they would all be successful. It's just two was able to process and get the ball out quickly to the weapons. And that's why they're so good. But I, I am in agreement with you. If, if it's a QB, I'm leaning Dak. But like you or like I said earlier, if uh, Tyreek Hill triple crowns with 2K yards, I, my vote's going to him. Yeah, and I, I think it absolutely should go to him. Um, I understand the whole narrative, quarterback's the most valuable player on the uh, field, but when you do something that historic, it needs to be recognized. That's that's something that needs to go down in the record books and go, okay, when you see Tyreek Hill MVP 2023, 20 years from now, you go, oh, that's when that he was the first wide receiver ever to break 2,000 yards, et cetera, et cetera. Like, that's well, the kind of stuff you want to talk about. And think the Dolphins have a realistic chance of winning the AFC as well. They do. Um, they're, they're the they're number not, one seed right now with the Jaguars. Right, and, and they aren't they aren't stuck behind another team in their division like the Cowboys are. Nope. So that could play to Tyreek Hill's favor as well. But uh, I, I think that's good MVP talk. That's definitely the most we've fleshed out this segment because I, I think it do, does deserve talking about, especially with all the betting markets and stuff like that. But uh, let's move on to the upcoming Panthers game where we have to play the uh, the Saints again. Ew. Not the New Orleans Saints, man. I mean, here's here's the thing. Um, my play caller rankings have had Pete Carmichael, I think, at 32nd um, more than any other play caller this year. And it's it's abysmal watching. They get in the red zone. They immediately just fizzle out. They had opportunities two weeks ago to beat Atlanta in Atlanta. And it was just they they drive the course of the field. Uh, they, they look like a competent offense. And then they get within the 20. And it's just automatically they're done. Um, they, they don't have an identity. Uh, Derek Carr is, is super, uh, averse, uh, risk averse in terms of, of making plays downfield that he, he's just looking for the sh short check down, uh, this, the, the, the play that's going to get you a couple yards rather than looking for the actual play downfield. And he missed the wide open AT Perry coming across on a crossing route, uh, on Sunday. And it's, it's stuff like that. That's costing them games, especially when Dennis Allen is calling a great defense. So it's one of those things that our defense is getting healthy. We can force Carr. And, and that offense and the mistakes, there's a chance that we we pull off the upset in New Orleans. Um, I just, I'm, I'm very worrisome about how our offensive line is going to hold up against that defense. And if our wide receivers are going to be able to get separation. Well, you talk about Derek Carr. We've seen Jameis Winston quite a few times over the past month. I don't even know if Derek Carr is going to be the guy for the whole game. And while Derek Carr is really risk averse, like you said, looking for the check down, Jameis will throw it and, He'll throw it downfield sometimes to his wide receivers, but sometimes to our corners. And so yep. pending the QB that we see, I think we can take advantage of both matchups, whether it be Carr or Winston there, especially with our defense being 
near or at full uh, full strength. I know Von Bell, hopefully we get him back. He had an interception against the Saints the first time we saw him. But like you said, I think the, the key matchup is going to be our offensive line against their defense. It's like we can't be allowing the pressure numbers we've been allowing. I know they're a bit better versus Tampa, but Bryce being sacked, what, 46 times or something like that on the season already, that's just unacceptable. And hopefully – we can buy him some time with stuff under center, uh, incorporating play action, incorporating more gap scheme runs where Chuba Hubbard was successful this week. Hopefully we can bring more of that to the table against a, a more stout defense uh, across the board than the Buccaneers one was. And I would say the Bucks D line was definitely much, much stronger than the Saints, but hopefully we can incorporate just uh, not the same thing over and over, which was a key staple of the Frank Reich tenure. Yeah. Um, if we we can lean on Chuba Hubbard, he had a a uh, Bijan Robinson had a good game a couple weeks ago against the Saints defense, and at no point am I going to compare Hubbard to Bijan as a running back. But if we, we can lean on that run game, we can give Bryce Young some some looks in play action downfield to to Chark to Mingo. He's been able to find all season Thielen as his kind of security blanket, and he's able to protect the ball. I think that gives us a good shot. I mean, we saw the Lions run up the score very early in the game, and if Thomas Brown is able to kind of take some of those nuggets and and, and see some of the gaps that were in that that defense, uh, and he's able to take advantage of some of those looks, that'd be that'd be perfect. Like that's that's how you're going to win a game. Um, but we got to play mistake free. I think that's the biggest thing. Like I, I'd rather see Bryce uh, be efficient, be able to throw the ball away, take the check down. Um, I'm I'm okay with us punting the ball, but I don't want to see sacks. I don't want to see fumbles from sacks um, or interceptions. Those those are going to be drive killers, and and they're really going to set up Derek Carr and that New Orleans Saints offense that's struggling with short fields, and that's only just going to give them more opportunities than they should. You know what Chuba Hubbard and Bijan Robinson do have in common? Did they uh, go to the same high school? No. Both of their colleges played in a conference championship this past weekend. And that's my, <laughs> that's my really good segue. I appreciate the setup there with uh, your line there. But that's a good segue into what happened in the world of college football this past weekend. It was conference championship weekend. And I'm not going to lie, I didn't watch any of the G5 conferences, but congrats to the schools that did win. I know there are a couple prospects there, like uh, the corner from Toledo, Quinion Mitchell. I haven't watched a ton of his film because it's not available yet, but I, I hear he's done a lot of great things. Liberty getting the win there, and uh, I believe it was SMU over Tulane. So congrats to all three of those schools. Um but the, the Power Five Conference Championships, the ones that a lot of people were watching this past weekend, I would say we got two good ones in the Oregon-Washington game and Georgia-Alabama. And then the rest were just not very fun to watch from a competitive standpoint. We started with the Pac-12 Conference Championship on Friday night, right? Oregon and Washington, that was in Las Vegas, where Oregon was favored by nine and a half, sometimes 10 points in some books. Which is wild. Which, it was, it's wild, right? Because... Not only did Washington beat them already, Washington was undefeated, and this was a neutral site field. I, there were a ton of people on Twitter and across different betting sites and stuff that were ridiculing this line after the game as one of the worst lines of all time. And I'm in agreement. I don't think Oregon was a better team whatsoever than Washington, just in general. And for them to be favored that heavily was just anomalous, and it proved a lot of people wrong. I hope not a lot of people took the Oregon 
spread or money line for that matter, because Washington came in and took care of business. Uh, we talk about Roma Dunze every week. He had another good game. But another receiver that they have, uh, not Jalen Polk, but Jalen McMillan, who has been injured a lot of this season. This was It looked like the first full game that he played without injury. And he was a killer from the slot this uh, in this game. He helped open stuff up for Odunze and Polk and for the, the running back, uh, Dylan Johnson. But McMillan was a killer. And he's the guy that uh, if teams need a slot receiver and the Panthers need every receiver, they should take a look at him in the middle rounds because coming into this season, he was a guy that was getting top 50 grades from some people, like maybe uh, maybe day two grades from a lot of – or round two, rather, from a lot of people. And he's the guy that, uh, along with the other two Washington receivers in Polk and Odunze, they're going to get drafted and be productive at the next level. Now, uh, do you have any notes on the other games before I get into them? Um, this wasn't a weekend I caught a lot of football on, uh, Michigan owned Iowa, um, Texas came out, out on top on Oklahoma state. Like it it wasn't a lot of competitive ball, like you said, outside of the Oregon Washington game. And obviously, um, since you're the Homer, uh, you love Alabama, you love, uh, most of the products that come out of that, uh, organization, not organization. I'm, I'm so used to talking about the NFL university. Um, I think the the game that happened on Saturday, uh, you were extremely hyped with the outcome and you have a lot more to kind of break down on that. So I, I'd like to hear kind of what were your your key takeaways on that key SEC championship? Yeah, I certainly think this was the best game uh, by a society. It was definitely the closest, most competitive stuff like that. But what really struck me and Nick Saban said this post game in an interview with Roman Harper, uh, former Panthers safety, former Saints safety for the Panthers Saints game coming up here and former Alabama safety more importantly but he said this (laughs) in the interview on that first drive they came into the game playing odd front on defense which is three people on the line and they would have Dallas Turner the star edge rusher for Alabama or or, uh, not Oregon Georgia would motion and shift him out onto the slot receiver and that allowed Georgia to kind of kill Alabama at the line of scrimmage on that first drive It it was like seven or eight plays 70 yards or 75 yards and a touchdown and they were down 7-0 early. And then Saban said he told the coaches, we're going to switch it now. We're going to go even front, four rushers every play, and the coverage in the back end are going to take care of the coverage. And we'll get pressure with the four guys eventually. And nobody had really pressured Georgia all year until this game. And Dallas Turner, the edge rusher, Chris Braswell, another edge rusher, uh, Justin Aboigby, who's been immensely talented but injured throughout, injured throughout his tenure at Alabama, all three of them had monster games in affecting Georgia QB Carson Beck forced uh, a couple of different sacks. They forced the fumble in Georgia territory, which former Georgia linebacker who transferred to Alabama, Tresman Marshall, was able to pick up there. Another former Georgia player, uh, Jermaine Burton, who we talked about when Tage was on the pod, wide receiver, he scored a touchdown against Georgia. So both the former Georgia guys shine in this game. But the guy that I really want to highlight, aside from the line of scrimmage battle, which Alabama dominated, is Terry and Arnold. A lot of talk uh, coming into the season and throughout his time at Alabama has been with Kool-Aid McKinstry, the star corner for Alabama. But for me, I've talked about it a couple times on the pod. I think Terry and Arnold has played much, much better than Kool-Aid McKinstry has this year. And I think he's played himself into the first round. I, I think of a particular play in this game, and it was it was a little uh, run out to the right. It was like a screen for the running back, basically. Arnold yeah. like slides down underneath the blocker like pushes himself back up with his legs and makes the tackle behind the blocker. It was a third and short to stop that drive. 
And it's stuff like that where you're able to contort your body and bend that way and be willing to play in the run game that coaches love. And I think he's going to be a a coaching favorite among people like coaches that have a say in the NFL draft for their teams because he's able to do the dirty work like that. And he's also been incredibly productive in the passing game. I think he has six or seven pass breakups and interceptions, stuff like that. But he, he's been balling out this year, and he's a guy that's going to you heard it here first. He's going to be talking his way into the first round with his tape this year. And it's really nice to see considering the defensive scheme that Alabama had last year with former defensive coordinator, Pete Golding. It was just terrible. It had guys like Dallas Turner playing out of position. Like it had Will Anderson lining up along the interior, which is just weird. We know how productive Will Anderson was a couple years ago and how productive he's been in the NFL. But that year last year with uh, Golding's scheme, really painted a bad light on a lot of guys. And one of those guys was Terry and Arnold. So it's nice to see him thriving under Kevin Steele this year where the defense is looking a lot better than it did last year. Yeah, no, I, I think those are a lot of great points. I wish I could talk more about it on the level you do. I I don't follow college ball as much. And it's one of the reasons why you're the draft expert on this pod. And I am not, Um, but Speaking of this pod, we are called Perfect Takes, and each week we have ours. Uh, Mine this week is in reference to the Eagles-Cowboys game. Like we talked about with Dak, a lot is writing on this game for his MVP consideration. And what I think is interesting to note is over their past – I'm looking at it now, but it's it's over the past like several of their matchups dating back to – um, I'm trying to find a game that's actually super close, but uh, over the past, dang, a, a lot of their uh, deficits. Okay, so I have to go back to 2013 to find a game that was decided by three or fewer points. And the line this week against the Cowboys is three and a half. I think the Cowboys cover that. Uh, I think they win by more than that. I think they're going to win by five plus. Uh, but this is one of those things that the the Eagles are beat up. They've had a rough slate as of late. They've played the Cowboys, uh, the Chiefs, the Bills. Uh, they just lost to the 49ers and now on the road to the Cowboys who are upset with their loss. And so it's one of those things that if the Eagles are going to spiral for a few weeks, this is that period. And I, I, I'm i all alone on the Dak train. I, I think he's the MVP this year, and I think he's going to solidify it in the next few weeks. So you've got the Cowboys – Plus five win. Well, it would be negative five. Uh, Yeah, minus five. Negative five. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's an interesting one for sure. I I have the Cowboys winning as well, but uh, I don't know if it'll get to five points. I think it'll be, like you said, a closer game. It might be a field goal type game or maybe a – But we uh, haven't seen that since 2013. I was looking at it. I thought I would have seen something in like 2016, 2017. No, like everything is five or more. At what point have both of the teams been this good, you know? That's that, kind that's of fair. My that's a good point. Standpoint. That is a good point. Or maybe in that matter, both been that bad. But at some point, like one of the teams has always been super good in that span. But I think this is the time that we've seen them both be really, really good. Um, but that's an interesting one for sure. I, I do think the Cowboys will win that one. Mine is, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, the turmoil with the Bills offense and Bills fans wanting Dor- Dorsey fired. Well, they got their wish. Joe Brady's taken over and past two games the bills have scored 32 points and 34 points in their overtime loss in philadelphia i think this week joe brady's offense will have its worst week in terms of points scored in kansas city as the chiefs look to bounce back 
after falling in the trap game against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau last week. So you think on the road that they're going to lose against Kansas City? And not only lose, because like it could be a high-powered game. They're going to score less than 32. I, I know that's weird to say because like 32 is a lot of points, but that's the standard for Joe Brady's offense so far, and I think they're going to fall beneath it. There you go. I think that's a good, perfect take to wrap up this episode. Uh, a little bit longer. We weren't the hour and a half we were last week. Uh, we'll try to get it underneath an hour next week. Uh, again, if you guys have any questions, um, shoot it into us at perfect underscore takes. Uh, we'll definitely answer those on the next pod. Uh, until then, we'll catch you next week.